Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Did you enjoy getting an extra hour of sleep? Did anybody else? I feel like I've, I've been drinking coffee for an extra hour. I'm hyped up. I've had some good sleep. I'm ready to go. So find your seats. We're going to talk today about, drum roll please, politics. And that's one of the subjects where everyone's like, ah, we have a, we have a midterm election. You're probably getting like the, has everybody else been getting like text messages and like robo calls? And it's just, it's one of those topics you're supposed to like in a nice social gathering where people gather and have a nice dinner and you don't know the other people. You're supposed to avoid the topics of religion and politics. We all know this. And we as a church, well, we can't avoid religion. And today we're going to dive deep into what is the Bible, specifically a a passage in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. What does that have to say to us about politics? And I hope um, that that you'll listen, that it'll be a challenging sermon. I have a a hunch that maybe some of you are going to be mad. And if you're not mad today, well, just come next week because next week we're going to talk about the roles of women in the church. So a double, like these are two subjects that are within the church. Like people argue, I I assume that in this house right here, there's probably people on that are going to hear something I say today and be like, I wonder if Joe agrees or disagrees. And on each of these Sundays. So Two weeks of pretty hard, challenging sermons, but I, I, I kind of joked about just making you mad. That is not, I don't hope to make you mad. I hope to pastor you, to shepherd you, to love you, to challenge you. So if you want, you can now turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, How, although I will tell a story first, and I will tell you the title of this sermon first, but if you, some of you just are excited to get into the word of God like we usually do, uh, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse one, but I'm going to preface this with a story and first the title. The title of this sermon is kind of like, well, here, what is it? What's going to be? Uh, The title is this, here's what the government needs from the church. And so this sermon will be an answer to kind of this presentation. Here's what the government needs from from the church. I'll say it one more time. You'll have it. Some of you are writing down the title. It's, it's where the direction of this sermon is going that I will provide the answer uh, from what the, the text of scripture is leading us to that this, this is, this is the, the government needs something from us, the church. And this sermon, this, what I will be saying today will be what it is. So um, let me start with the story. Do you guys like stories? It's a little bit longer of a story. Uh, goes back about 20 years when I was 20 years younger, about half of my lifetime ago, a little 20-year-old. Uh, me and two, two other friends, three people, went on a very long, uh, kind of a mission trip, more of a, like an exploratory trip for them. Uh, my friends Ben and Caleb and I went to Asia. The, the two of them were going exploring, wondering what the Lord was going to do in their life, if they were being called to missions. And uh, it's, it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. Both of them ended up being full-time missionaries in Asia. So this trip, when we were in our young 20s, was very pivotal in their lives and mine as well because I learned a lot. I got to travel with them. We were trying to do things like on a shoestring budget, like very cheaply. We were trying to go 
off the beaten path of, of tourism to save, this is, a, this is maybe the insight into who I am and my weirdnesses, uh, but me and my two friends, uh, we went, we moved to Vail, Colorado to make money because we could make more money there working construction. We got part-time, our full-time jobs for the summer, uh, making about three times what we can make here just working construction, and we didn't want to blow all our money on renting a nice place or an apartment, so we lived in the woods, in a van down by the river and worked our tails off and saved money so then the three of us could then spend like two and a half months traveling around Asia. I thank God that in my youth, I got to do things like that. I was very blessed. I just went on adventures and I'm very blessed that I had that experience. But we get over to Asia and we just begin to hit, like if you've ever been, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. If you've ever been to a foreign country, you've seen corrupt government. You've seen police officers that just want bribes. You've seen just the dark side, the bad side of like when bad people are in charge and the authority above you and the authority above them is bad. How many of you have experienced that firsthand? Like you've just seen the, the it's just not right. Like who's in charge here? And when we were in, we got to Kathmandu and we were gonna work our way to Los which is in Tibet, look at a map sometime, that, that route goes right over the Himalayan mountains. Everybody with a sane mind uh, decides to fly from Kathmandu to Lhasa. We were like, let's take four-wheel drive buses and Jeeps and make our own way through the Himalayan mountains. And we were high-fiving each other thinking this was a great idea. It turns out it was really hard. And we saw firsthand like just how hard it is and the corruption and people in over the border controls and just how hard it is when like rich, like assumingly, like you see white people in Asia, people just assume, oh, they, they must be wealthy. Let's scam them. Let's, let's get bribes from them. So we were on a bus, a four-wheel drive bus from Kathmandu to Lhasa, and the bus driver was ridiculously late. It's like three hours late. Turned out he was drinking the night before, and we're on a bus with him who's probably still like drunk and hungover, and we're on a bus with some other people, Chinese, Nepalese nationals, going to the border, and we get about halfway there, which took all day, and the road was closed because it had been washed out. And the bus driver says, well, this is as far as I could take you. And we're like, well, we paid to the border. Give us at least half our money back. And he's like, no, the money's in Kathmandu. I could bring you back all the way to Kathmandu. And we're like, no, we're out of here. So we walk around, we catch another bus, and then we kind of find out, wait, the road has been washed out for weeks. This bus driver knew, like he scammed us. He, and we get to the border, so that was one scam. We get to the border of Tibet, China from Nepal. Tibet and China, China is Tibet. Um, we get to the border and the, the border guard, we're just already mad. Like, have you ever been mad? Like, try, like, I'm tired, I'm mad. I'm not gonna apologize about being mad for getting scammed because that's just, you know, it shouldn't have happened. It was, it was not a good deal. And so we get to the border, just the three of us just kind of mad. And the guy doing the border crossing, he wants a bribe. He's like made up something that we need to pay for. And we're, we just know it's a bribe. And someone else get, had gotten through and looked back at us three Americans and, and like told us what we didn't know. He's like, the guy, they want a bribe. They want them. That's what they want. And we're like, yeah, we know. And we were just mad. We're like, we're not paying this. We want to talk to who's in charge. And so the guy's like, well, he's not coming till tomorrow. So we're like, well, fine. We'll wait. And so we wait at the border for a whole day. The guy comes the next day who's in charge. And he's like, yeah, that's, that's the fee. That's a new American fee we have for just, and we're like, no, we're not paying this. And so we're like, we're going to, we're set to like wait him out. And so we're like, we're just going to wait here till we don't have to pay. So another day goes by. We end up losing two days of our trip. We do. Finally, we get through the border and we didn't 
pay the bribe. But we get across, and there's another shenanigan. There's like this area to exchange money. There wasn't banks on this tiny little Chinese town. There was like an area, like a building where people came to exchange money, and they gave you certain rates, and we got a good rate, and we exchanged like hundreds of dollars for the three of us for hotels and food and all this stuff. We exchanged hundreds of dollars, and we got back. If you don't know this, China has the yuan, which is like a paper money, and then they also, their change, like a tenth of a, of a yuan, is also paper money. And we got scammed big time. We trained hundreds of dollars and probably got back like $30, $50 for that money. And we didn't even realize till we got to a restaurant and we ordered some stuff just by pointing out like, oh, what that guy has, I want to eat that. And they brought us over some food and then they charged us and we went to pay and like a quarter of our money went to this one meal. And we're like, whoa, this is weird. And we realized we got scanned. We go back to the building. That guy, of course, he's long gone. And we're like, who's in charge here? The guy that owns the building comes out and begins to talk to us. He's like, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't run this place. I just own the building. And we were just like, can you imagine? Like scam after scam, three days in a row, we were like at our wits end. We're homesick. We're in our 20s. We miss our moms. Like we're just like, what, what are we doing? Like this is whole, like we went over with like such high hopes of being missionaries and bringing the gospel and bringing peace. And all we're doing is like barely surviving, getting scammed, running right into like authorities and people who are in place that want to take from us, that are corrupt. And we're like, we just need to pray. The three of us were strong Christians. We're like, we, we need to get back. We have prayed in a while. We need to sit down. We just need to take an afternoon and we need to pray and, and study scripture and we need to thank the Lord and just put him back in first place. And during this very special prayer meeting, the three of us, we said, well, we do know who's in charge. We keep asking this question. Who's in charge? The bus guy. Who's in charge? The bank guy. Who's in charge? The border guy. And we, we realized, no, Jesus, he is the one who is in charge. And one of my friends, I think it was Ben, he finds this passage. So would you turn now to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll read this passage about what we're to do with the government authorities over our lives. Would you stand for the reading of this word? It's 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to read these four verses, and you'll see why this means so much to me, why this meant so much to me, because this passage ends up changing our trip. We begin to pray for people. This passage is going to say, pray for those who are in charge. Pray for the governing authorities. Pray for them. Even if they're, they're ripping you off, even if they have cruel intentions, even if they're corrupt, you pray for them. Because Paul was in a place of corruption, and the government over him hated Christians and wanted to kill them. And these words from Paul to Timothy that we now get to read show us what to do with the government, show us what the government uh, needs from us. So 1 Timothy 2.1 says this, I urge then, he urges us, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. This isn't just a quick, like, hey, send your thoughts and prayers. No, this is specific. Do you just bring petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving for all people. Verse two says, for kings and for those in authority. Everyone say authority. That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Christ, you are in our midst, and, and we pray to you right now. We, we pray for those who are 
in charge, ruling over things. Lord, we, we ultimately say you are in charge, but you have given people, individuals, um, just authority over us, over this city, over this Colorado, over our country. And Lord, we lift them up to you right now. And we, we see here in scripture that you're asking us to pray these, these things. You're asking us to pray your will be done, your kingdom to come on the earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, we, we, we thank you. We praise you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people shouted, amen. 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 You may be seated. Let's get right to point number one. I have a two-point sermon for you. I know usually they're three points, but uh, I had a, had a long story to tell you about shenanigans happening in Tibet and Nepal. And so today we have two-point sermon. The first one is this. Who's in charge? Jesus, Jesus is in charge. He is in charge. This is something we need to continually remind ourselves about. It's something we need to hold dear to our hearts. It's something we need to live our lives out of the truth that Jesus is in charge. Now, um, I, I think of this statement, Jesus is in charge, and we high five each other as Christians, and we know this, we believe this, we remind each other of this, but then we think, well, then why isn't, you know, why is these, these goofballs get to scam American tourists? Why does this bus guy get to drive a four-wheel drive bus drunk and steal our money halfway through? Why do these situations happen at a border where we can't get through? Why is it that there's just, there's, if God is really in charge and God is good and God is all-powerful, well, then why, is the, why are things not right? And that is a question, it's called the problem of evil. It's a theological question. It's a question we could spend sermon serieses on. And, and like, what, how do we explain that problem of evil? If God is all, uh, all powerful and all good, then why is there evil? Well, I don't know. That's the, the quick answer. I don't know. I, th- I think there's different ways of looking at it. One way to look at it is say, well, God is making all things right. He has and he will. This phrase, Already, but not yet. Have you heard that phrase before? This phrase, the the kingdom of God is already, but not yet. Have you heard that? It's kind of a mystery phrase that explains like, well, yes, Jesus, he conquered death and evil on the cross already. And his kingdom is here already, but not yet. There's a fulfillment that is coming in the future. There is a fulfillment of justice and his kingdom that is already here and yet is yet to come. Uh, maybe I'm not making sense because it is kind of a mystery. Like, what, what do you mean it's already but not yet? Well, it's a mysterious phrase that the kingdoms of this world, the governments of this world, there's some really good ones. There's some that are really sufficient in what they do. There's some really broken ones. I can think of uh, places in Africa, like the Congo, where we went, where it's just known for it. Like, the government here is horribly corrupt. It's like we went to the border of the Congo trying to get in. What did it take? Like two hours to get in? Like show your passport, show this, do a little dance, do that, do this. Do it. The, like one of our members wasn't vaccined. And so like you need to have vaccine. And like these vaccines were sitting over there like not refrigerated, just like needles out without a cover. And they're like, you need to have one of these to get in the country. He was like, we're not, Ken, I was like, you're not getting those. We're not, we're not receiving these vaccines. I don't know where you're at on vaccines, whether you're pro or you're con, but you're definitely, all of us would say, we're against those ones that aren't even, like, we're against those ones. And so the, 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 they were like, well, well, we got a great idea. How about you just pay us the money for the vaccine and we'll let you through. And so after like an hour of shenanigans, that's what ended up happening just because it's corrupt. Like there's places in the world that are completely 
corrupt. And, and the people at the top are there just to get more money. They are not there to serve. And so I think, uh, I, I love this definition of government. This is a quote, I'll just read it for you, by a guy named Mirsalov Wolf, who is a Croatian, kind of in the same uh, vein of like N.T. Wright. And he's living today. He's one of the scholars that I, I remember at Fuller Seminary when I went to seminary. He was always showing up and giving guest lectures. People I knew, knew of him or studied under him. And he just has a great definition of uh, what a good government is. He said, a good government gives everyone the conditions, opportunities, and tools to have a flourishing life. When people get together, create societies, create government, a good government is one that gives conditions, opportunities, and tools to have a flourishing life. In other words, government give us our good roads, give us order, justice, and defense, and then stay the heck out of our lives. Like that's the role of what he would say, that's what a good government looks like. A good government shouldn't overreach and, and make and put these rules and laws on everything and it's, it's all about the government and a government shouldn't underreach, like just receive taxes and do nothing. When Paul writes, when Paul is writing to Timothy in first century, he's a Christian writing to the Christians in Ephesus, which Timothy is overseeing. He is in a, he's under the Roman rule, which has overstretched the bounds of government beyond maybe anything that the world has ever seen. The, the very emperor, who was the emperor of the, the known world, the Roman world at the time, declared himself to be a god. And if you didn't worship Caesar, the emperor, as god, you were held in contempt. You were held as a tr a, in treason, and you could be killed. You could be put on trial. That's why Christians, that's why Paul goes to trial. That's why Christians were martyred, because they wouldn't worship the head of the government as god. Now, things, I, I think we'd all agree that things aren't perfect in the United States. Things maybe are getting pretty bad, but it's not that bad, right? We're not, we're not called to worship the leader of this country like a god. Thank God, right? Right, amen. But that's what was going on in Paul's day. And I wanna remind us that in that government, it's where Paul says, hey, pray for those who are in charge. Pray for the authorities over you, which is just mind-blowing to me because you would think like, why would you play for someone so evil that he's declaring himself to be God and the people under him are worshiping. And it's just like the Roman government was just evil. Like so much evil came out of that, especially against Christians. And it may get worse, but it's gonna get better. Paul has this hope. We have this hope that no matter what happens in the Roman government, in our world today, in the United States, some of us are optimistic. Some of us might be very pessimistic about our nation and where it's going. It may get worse, but it will ultimately get better. Why? Because Jesus is in charge, amen? And he will rule and he will reign. And no matter what, things will get better because he is reigning and he will reign fully. So that's point number one, Jesus is in charge. Point number two is kind of the answer to the, the like, here's what the government needs for us. The government needs prayer. Pray for those in charge of government. This is what Paul says to Timothy. It's like, pray for those who are kings, the authorities over us. Pray for them and, and pray for our government. This is what the, the world, this is what the United States, this is what our government, this is what the elections that are taking place on Tuesday, this is what it needs from us, the church, to pray. And I imagine some of you 
are just maybe thinking to yourself, maybe even rolling your eyes, like, yeah, that's, it's, really, it's really that simple. Like, like we hear this phrase sometimes when someone's doing a press release, they'll say uh, like to the victims, oh, our, our thoughts and our prayers go to the victims. Have you heard this? It's a beautiful thing, and I hope it's, it's true that the person saying that is saying those and meaning those words. But oftentimes, maybe it's just me, but I, I'm negative. I just get the sense that it's just something nice to say. Like, it's just, it's just a saying. And maybe what you're hearing me say right now is like, oh, the government, this and that. The answer is just, oh, thoughts and prayers. I'm not saying that. I'm saying what Paul said. The petitions, the prayers, the intercessions will change this world. It will bring the kingdom of God to this earth. 1 Timothy 2, 2 says this. We'll kind of go back to what we just read. It says to pray for those with intercessions for the kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful, quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So it's not just prayer. It's, it's lives with peace and quiet and godliness and holiness. People that pray, people that work through their lives with holiness and godliness, people that, like us as a church, when we pray for those over us, whether it's Manitou Springs, like John Graham is the mayor of Manitou, whether it's Colorado Springs, John Southers, the, the mayor of uh, Colorado Springs, or Polis over Colorado, or Biden, who's the president over the United States. Like When we pray and live godly lives, holy lives, quiet lives, this is bringing the kingdom of God onto this earth. I found myself last week even praying for uh, Nancy Pelosi, and some of you saw in the news like what happened to her. And I, I would probably say, I, I, maybe you would say as well, there's not a lot of agreement between my politics and Nancy's politics. But when what I heard what happened, like people came into her own home to kidnap or hurt, like I was, I was grieved. I was like, Lord, and I thought of this passage, and I thought of preaching to you, and I thought I better practice what I preach. And so I prayed, Lord, would you cover that home? Would you heal? Would you bring peace? This is what we are called to do as Christians. And it may seem like bizarre. Like why would we, like if we have certain sides that we have politically, why would we pray for that other side? Well, once they get in charge, well, they're a ruling authority over us. And Paul tells us to pray for them. Thinking back through my, my trip to Nepal and Kathmandu, that was, it was life-changing for me because for one of the first times in my life as a 20-year-old young man, I, I prayed for people who had it in for me. Like I prayed for people that had just scammed me. I prayed for people like that I was like, these guys were my enemies. Like they really, they stole a lot of money from us and we're gonna lift them up in prayer. It was hard to do, but it was so freeing and it freed us up for ministry. And out of that period of time, where we traveled, I think, man, those, both of those guys became missionaries. My life was radically changed as to someone who like prayed through situations. I wasn't a person of prayer before that trip, but I became one. And I just think of how good God has been to me and how this actually works. So I'll kind of conclude with this idea. And it was, it's a thought that I thought about uh, this, this week as I was thinking about the Roman Empire and Paul saying to pray for those in charge of the Roman Empire and to live quiet, godly, holy lives. This is how we will go about as the kingdom of God. And I thought, well, wait a minute. That whole strategy, didn't it actually work? 
I mean, these Christians were these, these poor minority people who were being like literally, if you don't know these stories, they were literally being hauled off to arenas and being killed as everyone got to laugh and they got to point and they got to cheer as these Christians were either killed by gladiators or by wild animals. Like this is our history as a church. Like these were the, these poor, meek, mild people who were being told by Paul, the, the leader at the time, to live quiet lives, holy lives, and to pray for those who are in charge, the ones bringing them into the, the, the Colosseums. Like, do what, how is this going to work? But it does work. Like, that's like, do, is the Roman Empire around anymore? No. Is Jesus around anymore? Yes. Yes, he is. Like the Roman Empire, like a lot of people would say, yeah, kind of the 400s, it, it ended. Like, and most people would say, yeah, just maybe like 200-ish years after Paul is writing this to pray for those in charge, to live quiet, humble, holy lives. Within 200 years, the whole Roman Empire becomes Christian. The emperor says, I'm no longer God, and I'm going to believe in Jesus. Like this whole strategy, it actually works. And so it's with this that we'll kind of close today. And once again, I, I've probably made some of you mad. If I, if I didn't come next week, we'll talk about women in ministry. But I think that there's some challenge here. Like there, there's, it's, it, it seems odd that we as Christians would, would take this route of prayer and living godly, holy, quiet lives. That we would vote. I'm, I'm thinking about like, we, of, of course we vote. I maybe should have talked about that some more. Maybe I should talk more about like, as, as Christians, as this church, like of course we get involved politically. I would love to see members of our congregation taking over like HOA responsibilities, school board responsibilities or positions, city council positions, running for offices, within Manitou, Colorado Springs. I would love to see that. I would love to see us voting and engaged. But I, think, I, I assume that goes without saying. And what I really needed to remind us of is our spiritual strength and what we do every single day to live holy, godly lives. We worship the Prince of Peace. We should be bringing it. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Would you stand with me? I'm gonna pray over you. We're going to sing one last song. The band can come up, and then we're going to receive communion. But let's, let's take a moment. Let's, let's pause here and really pray. Like Paul is telling us to pray, so let's do it. Lord, we, we come to you now, and we pray for our government. We, we pray for the elections on Tuesday. We pray for um, the integrity of the election. We pray that, Lord, your hand would be upon people as they vote and as the ballots are brought in. Lord, we pray for your will to be done, for your kingdom to be, to be done. Lord, we, we pray for your kingdom to come. We pray that, that those you want in charge will be, will be put in charge, that those who are corrupt, that those who lie and cheat and steal, Lord, they would be, Lord, they would be brought away with and, and that, Lord, your will would be done, that your kingdom would come. Lord, we pray these things in your name. We honor you, Lord, with our lives. And we say, Lord, you are in charge. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want to invite everyone, if you're new to New Life, we, we receive communion every week, and everyone in here is invited. You don't have to be a member of this church. If you believe in Jesus, you can receive with us. In your baskets are these uh, little cups 
with bread on them. And so make sure people around you have them if they want. If you're just visiting, if you're joining us, we're glad you're here. This is something we do as believers. We receive from the body and blood every single week. And so if you would, would you take the bread that's at the top and remember the words of Jesus when he said that his body is broken for us, that he is the bread of life, that we do this in remembrance of him. We, we receive his body for our sins, for the sins of this world, that he makes all things right by God becoming human and his body broken for us. Let's receive the bread together. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took a cup and he said, this is a cup of a new covenant, a a cup of his blood shed for the sins of the world. And so we as Christians, we receive this and we thank the Lord that his blood was shed on a cross, that God himself became human and died for our sins, that we might have grace and life in him. So let's receive this cup together. So now, Lord, we we sing this last song to you and about you. Lord, that you will ever be the one who is in control, that you will ever be the one who is honored with our lives, with this city, with this nation. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.